a little life hack here before we start anything else. I don't think I've shared this one before. Here we go. Life hack out of nowhere. Whenever you check out a hotel room, take your room key. Because one time out of five, you'll forget something in your hotel room and you have your room key in your pocket or your purse. Then when you get to your car and go, oh God, I forgot my coat or I forgot my cell phone charger, you can go back to the hotel room and get it out without going to the front desk. So there's a little life hack. I probably have shared this with you before, but you know, if I haven't, then remember that one. And now let's get to the heart of the podcast this week. Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. Here we go. Right now it is Sunday afternoon. My daughter was due, uh, Allison was due to have her baby on Thursday. So the main thing we're doing right now is just kind of keeping track of that whole situation. Um, she went in on Thursday and they were possibly going to induce her, but the baby's doing fine. They said, we'll give it a few more days. And if the baby doesn't come by Wednesday, 10 p.m., then she will be induced. And I'm like, why 10 p.m.? As it turns out, there's a reason for that because as they start the induction process around 10, that would mean the baby would be born sometime the next morning. Okay, it seems kind of like a weird time to start doing something like that, but hey, I'm all for it. The doctors know what they're doing, so we're excited about it. I've got two other grandkids. Uh, Beth's got two kids. This is especially exciting for Susan because this is Susan's first real grandkid, and that's really one of our big topics of conversation. Um, uh, what are Allison and Justin going to be like for parents? What is going to be their parenting style? I told Susan this. I said, Justin had good parents. We like to think that Allison had good parents. So I think that Justin and Allison's parenting style will be pretty good. I really admire people who didn't have the best parents, but have become great parents themselves. Maybe that's your situation. I hope you had good parents. I'm going to guess you probably did. I'll give them your parents the benefit of the doubt in that they were pretty good parents and that you one day will be a good parent too. So that's kind of what we're talking about right now and um, you know, just waiting for that whole thing. It's a big life event. Um, it's big when it's your kid, but it's also it's big when it's your kid's kid. And Susan is so excited about it. She's got a crib upstairs that she's got to have Carson put together, and she's got all kinds of little baby clothes, things like that. So, so that is one thing that's going on in our life right now. We have had the really boring, not a lot going on weekend. And Steve sent out a tweet the other day. Let me see if I can find it really quickly here, because it was actually pretty profound. And, um, and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let me see if I can find it here. Of course, it's going to take a second. Let me look for Steve-O. Uh, Steve, hold on one second. It's worth the wait, trust me. It's about basically being bored and how we um, uh, just now started getting bored. Here, here he goes. Is it me or has life become boring? Not seeing friends, going places. Remember back in April, we were making jokes about being happy, about not having to go places and getting to getting to drink. I no longer feel this way. He got 78 likes on that one, and uh, I think it's kind of true. It's like, well, back in April, May, we were like, you know what? I'm fine with staying home, and I'm still doing okay with it. How are you doing with it? But there's a lot of people who are like, okay, I did my staying at home thing, and now I really just miss a lot of the things that we used to do. A lot of people don't feel safe going to restaurants, even on a patio, so they don't. Uh, we today took a walk through downtown Excelsior. Uh, we walked from uh, over on County Road 19 
through the thick, beautiful forest on the old railroad bed, through downtown Excelsior, and then back. So a total of five miles. Downtown Excelsior was just slammed. There were so many people down there. And I think it's because people are like, I'm tired of staying home. I just want to get out and do something. Even if it means going into a store, going into Dunn Brothers, going into the bakery, going into the restaurants, whatever. Um, so I think we're probably all getting burned out on that. And I just tell you what I told Susan. I said, you know, we got to get used to it because as much as we wish everything was better and everything was okay, it's probably going to go on for another, what, six months, a year? We don't know. Remember when the virus first started and we all thought, well, thank God this will be over in a couple of months. You know, by summertime, it'll be pretty much under control. And in Minnesota, you know, we've learned to manage it. And in a lot of places, they're not managing well. I think there's a lot of these events that are spreading it. I know that there's something like 200,000 people coming to the uh, motorcycle rally in Sturgis. And let me tell you, bikers are kind of notorious for being, you know, hey, listen, I ride a bike myself. But there's a lot of bikers who are like, you know what? I am not going to wear a mask. It is not what I do. And, um, you know, I mean, I would encourage them to do it, but I would not also go to freaking Sturgis this year either. All right, what else you want to talk about? A couple of things that I've been talking about, like with Steve and Fallon, uh, a little bit on the radio the last couple of weeks, was the whole Ellen DeGeneres situation. Now, as we are hearing it, people that go to the Ellen show are surprised that somebody who's so warm and kind and friendly and funny has such a cold-hearted acting staff. And they talk about how they felt slighted, unimportant. Uh, Some people felt that there was racial tension. Um, Some people felt that they weren't treated well. And uh, so I'm kind of examining this thing with absolutely no other evidence except my own speculation. I have worked on a morning show um, and led a morning show for 36 years. 36 years that I've had to lead a morning show. And I've always done it one way and one way only. With a lot of hard work, a lot of time put into it, and the best attitude that I can have. So when I need something from somebody, they won't go, screw him. I don't like that guy. So... I've always tried to be nice to everybody in the building, and um, you know I think it's worked for the most part. There's always going to be some people that don't like you for whatever reason, but I th- I'm going to give Ellen the benefit of the doubt in that look how popular and successful she is. She probably demands a lot from her staff, just like any successful person demands a lot from their staff too, because there's really no shortcut to it. Being successful takes a lot of hard work, and it takes a lot of time. And I've worked with radio people through the years who didn't want to do hard work and who especially did not want to put the time in. I'm not going to be specific because I don't want anybody to know that I'm talking about them, but I will only say that it did not happen here at KDWB. I worked with a couple of people who really resented me for asking them to do so much work. I was the kind of person who would come home, work in the afternoon, work more at night. If I needed to go back to the station to write a parody song or record a parody song or do something, I would go back and I would do it, even if it was 9 o'clock at night and I had to get up at 4 the next morning because that's how I work. Now, you don't have to work ridiculously hard, but I didn't have any kids or really a girlfriend back then. And if I did, she understood. 
and uh, our show became really successful. These two were like, you plan too much. We need to be more spontaneous. And they kind of revolted or rebelled against me because they wanted to be a little bit lazier. All these years later, one of them last I heard was either installing cable or installing carpet, which is nothing wrong with that, but it's not what he had dreamed of being. And the other one is, I'm not really sure what happened to her. But back to the Ellen situation, could it be possible that some of the people that come on her show are not used to working with such a demanding staff? And I'm I'm hoping that's what it is, because I like to think of Ellen as a nice person. I like Ellen. We all like Ellen. I don't like to think that her whole persona that we've loved for the last 15 or 20 years has been an illusion, that she's been able to fake that for so long. Maybe she has. I kind of doubt it, though. I'm going to suppose that it might be due to the fact that some of the people that come on the show are surprised that somebody is so demanding. That doesn't explain any racist remarks or racial tension or anything like that. I don't have I don't know exactly what happened there. But I guess the big picture in this one is there will always be people who when you ask them to do extra work that they'll scoff and they'll bitch and they'll complain and they'll mutter behind your back and talk about how you're such a bitch or you're such an asshole because you want them to do extra work. Hey, trust me, I've worked for assholes before. And I didn't think they were awful people because they asked me to do extra work. It was just by the way they treated people and by the way they took the the privilege of their position themselves. I've worked with a lot of people who, whenever there was a freebie or tickets to the Wolves game or tickets to the Vikings game or a trip to Las Vegas to see a boxing match and be put up at a great hotel, that always went to them and never anybody else. But they they wanted all the privileges of working in the position without doing a whole lot of work themselves. So, to summarize, I would say that there's a lot of people who just don't want to be asked to work hard. And to that, I say every successful person has had to work hard. There's just not a lot of people who lucked into it. There's a lot of people who didn't want to work for a low wage. And that was a discussion I got in on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about how, something about how uh, it was a meteorologist who just got a job in, uh, you know, his first job out of college. And he's like, this job, I can't believe it pays $25,000 a year. What the fuck? Are you serious? And I said, that's really, that's what we call paying your dues. If you want to get into it and you want to have this cushy dream job that so many other people want you're going to have to work for not a lot of money and be glad that you got let into the club. Now you have to pay your dues by working long hours for not a lot of money. And then in two years down the road, maybe five years down the road, you'll have paid your dues and you can make a lot of money. Or you can say, I am not going to work for that tiny bit of money. I don't want in the club and I'm going to sit here with my arms crossed across my chest and I'm going to pout. And I'm going to say, that's not, that's taking advantage of me. Yeah, please take advantage of me. Please hire me. Please let me get by on $25,000 a year for entry into your club, which is the profession I really want. Let's say you started a photography business. This is your, this is your passion and you're really good at it. 
but nobody knows who you are. So the first two years of your photography business, you're not making much more than maybe $22,000 a year. As you get your name out, you do some freebies, you do some promotional stuff, you buy your own equipment with your own money, uh, you whatever it is that photographers have to spend money on, um, you take lessons, you take online classes, whatever it is to be a really good photographer. And then you look at your salary, that what you've made at the end of the year, and you go, I only made $22,000. That's bullshit. I'm not doing this anymore until I can do it to make $75,000 guess what you did? You paid your dues. In year number two, you might make 35. In year number three, you might make 60. But you can't expect when you begin any job to get paid a necessarily livable wage. Think about opening your own store. Let's say you want to open up your own flower shop. You open up a flower shop and your first year you lose money because the word's not out there, you don't have your steady customers, your loyal customers, but by year number three or four, you finally start to break even. Has it been a fair experience? Yes, that's what you wanted to do. Nobody goes into a business like that or starts a career and thinks, I should get paid a livable wage right up front. Yeah, maybe you should from a giant corporation, but again, thank you, person who hired me, business who hired me for letting me into the club. I am now an official member of the club and I am paying my dues. If I'm wrong, please explain to me why I'm wrong. I've not heard a convincing argument except that um, uh, that's called, somebody had a word for it. Basically, it's using you. And again, I'll go back to please use me. Thank you so much for using me so I can be a member of this club and start to live my dream career. I have one more thing to share with you uh, on the podcast this week, um, and that is something that I, I wrote down. I have this app on my phone. It's called Notes. You've heard of it. It's Microsoft Notes. And whenever I have an idea, I put it in Notes. And I'm like, ah, oh, that'd be a great chapter for my next book. And sometimes these occur to me as they happen, like I'll be standing in Target and something will happen, and I'll go, aha, that could be a good chapter. Or sometimes I'll think about something that happened way back in the past. And I'll go, I should have learned something from that. Or maybe I did learn something from that. Here's something that I learned when I was about 13 years old. I was a Boy Scout, and we were all going to the Grand Canyon. We lived in Colorado. We were taking a road trip to the Grand Canyon a day away, if I remember right. I think about a day away. It might have been, it might have been, it was two days away, actually. So we had trained, we were going to go to the Grand Canyon, and we hiked from the South Rim to the North Rim and back over five days. I don't know how many miles it was, but it was grueling, and it was one of the best memories of my whole childhood. But on the way there, I noticed something that you and I can learn from. There was a kid named Scott. Now, Scott was kind of a bully and Scott would pick on other kids, so you then had a chance to laugh or ignore or, or join in. So Scott was kind of a dick, and, but you wanted to be on Scott's good side because if you were on his bad side, then, then you never know if he was going to bully you. On day one, I didn't know Scott that well. But on day one, Scott would crack jokes in the back of this, you know, this parent's car. And I would laugh, and he'd crack another joke, and I would laugh. And then I realized after a while, as the day went by, 
that I was forcing these laughs, not because they were funny, not because he earned it, but because I wanted Scott to think that I was his buddy. As I look back on that now, you know, a 13-year-old kid, I give him a pass for me being 13 and not realizing what I was doing. But I started to realize that he wasn't earning these laughs, and I looked like a fool for laughing at all of his jokes. I don't think Scott respected me. I think Scott probably thought, oh, here's another kid I can manipulate. So what is my lesson here? If there is one, in today, in your grown-up world, if you're around somebody who is always cracking dumb jokes or racist jokes or sexist jokes or homophobic jokes or any kind of a dumb, don't have to be offensive, they just have to be bad. Don't give them more than a couple of courtesy laughs. Make them earn it. Don't be their fool. Don't be the person who's like, oh, I'm going to say anything and Dave will laugh at it. Make them earn it. Don't you think that they'll have a whole lot more respect for you if you make them earn it. Now listen, if it's our friend or our spouse and somebody we absolutely love anyway, and you're at a barbecue and your spouse or your neighbor that you love makes a joke and you laugh because you're trying to be friendly and social, hey, that's not what I'm talking about. That's fine. That's kind of lubricating the wheels of like conversation is a nice courtesy laugh. But if there's somebody that you're working with or somebody that you've been partnered with and they don't, you don't make them earn the laugh, I think you're losing their respect. Make them earn it. That's kind of a deeper little tip, but I think it's something that I'll really stick with. And I think I've learned that, I mean, I learned that back in eighth grade, but I've kind of carried that with me. And I've seen other people do it too. And it's like, oh, this person's not going to be my fool. They're not going to laugh at everything I say. So that's really all I've got, except the book is pretty much sold out. I think there might be a few copies left. I don't even know if you can get it on Amazon anymore. It's worth a shot, uh, but I know that they have it on, at Itasca Books. So we are about 5,000 copies sold of this book. So if you have the book, thank you for buying it. If you don't have the book, you can get a hard copy at itascabooks.com. You can try Amazon, but I'm not sure. And I'm not sure if bookstores have it yet anymore either. Um, and But buy it from Itasca Books. If nothing else, you can always get the Kindle version and read it on your phone or read it on your Kindle. Does anybody still have a Kindle? Does anybody do that anymore? Did the Kindle actually work out? Or do people just get it on their iPad or their phone or their computer now? I'm not sure. Questions, comments, I love it. Please send anything. If you said, Dave, that is the stupidest thing you ever said, or Dave, I tried your advice and that really rings true. Uh, listen, I'm not here because I know all the answers. I've made a lot of mistakes and pretty much every mistake that we learn from, that we make, we can learn something from it, right? If you loan your brother money and he never pays you back, there's a little learning moment right there. If you meet a celebrity and it turned out that they're an asshole, actually. There's a little learning moment right there, too. Uh, if you've ever been in charge of a bunch of people and they've taken advantage of you because you're a nice person and you want to be their friends, there's another mistake that we've learned from. So, uh, hey, listen, I've made more than my share of mistakes, and a lot of them have been very expensive, very painful mistakes. That's why I share them with you, not because I'm full of some sort of wisdom. I've lived a lot of years. Probably, I'm going to guess I'm probably older than you. 
So there might have been some things that I picked up on that maybe you have not had the misfortune of going through yourself. All right, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Share it with a friend. Tell somebody about the podcast. Word of mouth is the number one way that we people who do a podcast get the word out and get more people to listen. I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, whether you've listened to all of them, whether you binged on every single one, what were you thinking, or whether it's your first one. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Mm-hmm.